My last Dharma talk was April of this year, and I was getting ready to leave the city. I was going to engage in the spring maintenance on my sailboat in a little harbor on the upper St. Lawrence River in Stormont County. And it turned out to be quite a big thing this year. I was mostly up there and on the boat between April and the middle of October. But looking back at that Dharma talk now, I recall, I've been thinking a lot previous to it, but how I might approach the season differently. I was going to try to do the fitting out as practice, right? Imbued with some kind of heart quality, something spiritual. I called my project Zen and the Art of Sailboat Maintenance. And that was the working title of the talk I gave last April. So this one is Zen and the Art of Sailboat Maintenance, part two. My prep included reading the book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Rereading, right? I mean, things are different now. From when that book came out back in the 60s, uh, when I read it first, like a lot of people, people who are getting old now, and lots of changes in the traction Buddhism has gained in America since then, and also I hope in how our society relates to mental health. And for sure, in our recognition of the huge importance of relationships to spiritual and psychological well-being. And that, 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 that thing, particularly relationships, it's a tragedy because Persig, the author, his book features a relationship with his son. And not very many years after the work's appearance, the young man was stabbed in a robbery outside the door of the Zen, uh, San Francisco Zen Center, right, and where he'd been staying, and he bled out, died on the sidewalk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it colors, right, how you read something when you know that there is this abyss imminent in the experience of the author. Worst is when you know the author is going to commit suicide, right? I mean, like with Ernest Hemingway or with that, you know, that world-traveling celebrity chef, Anthony Bourdain. By my lights, that pretty much wrecks it. That is the marketing plan from hell. Uh, if for a long time, I had trouble uh, in cardio class, like, you know, dance fit, you're supposed to be jumping around joyously, and it's the voice of Amy Winehouse coming through the speakers, you know? Do you ever, you ever think, you know the laughter on a track recorded, uh, for instance, on a television show that uses this laugh track to highlight uh, funny lines in the script? You know that all the people record, all the people you're hearing laughing, they're all dead now. <laughs> I don't know, I find that kind of... Uh, I don't know, it's, it's just kind of jarring to me, that, that re recognition. Now, anyway, so what sold that book, Zen and the Other, Motorcycle Maintenance, I think, and it sold in numbers like three orders of magnitude greater than any philosophy book then or since. But it spoke to our need, a perennial need for a way of approaching problems, conflict, life, a way that scales, it's reasonable, sensible, skillful on all levels, from everyday minutia to the origin principles. That's what that book promised. It didn't really work for me then or now. I mean, his advice about quality or my own noble aspirations for Zen and boat work, uh, they, they were not particularly well-founded, it turned out. Mm. Yeah. I was good with watching out for my expectations, maybe I've said here, expectations are resentments under construction. I always say that. But my plan to avoid becoming obsessed, that was a complete flop. 
<laughs> I sort of tried. In the first week, it was raining and cold one morning. This is, you know, April. And I, I went into Cornwall, a nearby rather dreary town. And I, I did two back-to-back -back yoga classes. Okay, this is going to help, you know, because I love yoga. But I, I wasn't into it. Yeah, I really wasn't. I, I didn't go back. I, I'd already flipped into this personal, from the personal fitness and well-being persona into the boat worker, boat slave mode. That personality was gone. The new personality <coughs> was in charge. I, uh, people said balance, John, balance. And I have never been a big advocate of a balanced lifestyle. I mean, neither my younger self or now, really. Um, talking about balance seems to me like rationalizing between boredom and distraction, between work and pleasure. Whatever, normal life, right? But still, let's face it, as a value, it sucks. Normally, I mean, normality. Uh, the trouble with normal is it just gets worse. <laughs> and anyway, concentrating on one thing all the time is just really a lot of fun. <laughs> so, becoming enlightened, though. Now, that would be the best way. You could step away from that balancing act for good, right? But actually, Focusing on enlightenment isn't really reasonable or sensible. Skillfulness with it, it's like paradoxical. Many times I've seen how an obsession with spiritual transformation does not go well for people. The amount of full frontal assault on our unenlightened nature as human beings and we end up upside down, typically. Seems counterintuitive, right? That something so all-embracing as liberation would require kind of a deft touch and a sidelong glance to be realized, a nudge and a wink. But there it is, like love. It won't be caged. Certainly not in anything that can be stated in words or ruled in the numbers. A bit like enlightenment, however, my boat, Aragorn is her name, she is an infinite project, not ineffable, but for all intent and purpose, endless. A hole in the water into which I pour all of my effort and more than all of my money. Making her better and more beautiful, more functional, prettier. People seem appreciative of this quest that I'm on with her. I'm not scamming anybody. Uh, there are free boat rides for family and friends. I connect people on the boat, family and friends. Bring attention to nature and natural forces here, wind waves, currents, and the compass. It's inspiring. Recreation is good. The boating community, very good for your people. And for me, the opportunities for learning how to do things, new skills, fixing things, making things, it's great. Wonderful. Better late than never. What about my well-being, though? Not to make too fine a point about what about enlightenment for me. Or at least to talk about some kind of self-kindliness. Look, I am very lucky to get to be able to do this. Like, just, I am very lucky. But on the other hand, the mania of mind-body serving an obsession, for me or anybody, it's not sustainable. I mean, there's a dark shadow of sort of stimulant abuse here. There's, there's the tendonitis I got in my right hand from holding the tiller for a month. I'm still dealing with that. Sleep deprivation in that manic state of obsession with which comes impaired judgment, wild swings of mood, forgetfulness, other bad things, I don't know. Judy, my newish wife, 
she came up from the city on the last weekend of my stay in the spring. And I was telling her what this experience was like, the sleep deprivation, explaining how I suffered from impaired judgment, warning her about the mood swings. And I couldn't remember the other thing. Later in the day, I remembered forgetfulness. <laughs> <laughs> if I could learn to take map naps, I thought, okay. But he said, take a nap. Do you take a nap during the day? So that would be better. It's a pattern, me and naps. I, I typically, you see, sleep in general. I'll start the night, I sleep very well. I've been meditating for 25 years, so this is you know, not an advertisement for you know, how meditating is going to make you suddenly <laughs> like, so calm and relaxed all the time. Okay, and I, I, I start the night though, I sleep quite well because I work so hard on the boat all day, like for during these, these weeks and months. I, uh, but then I go back to my mother and my new mother in law's place where I stay, and I, I go to bed just completely exhausted, right? And, and at 10 or 10 30, and it's like clunk, I'm down. I mean, my t body is totally shut down for like three, four hours max. I'm like locked in, dreaming. Oh, sweet Jesus, I'm dreaming. It's like a total flood. Right? I'm more conscious than I want to be, but my memory is outside my purview. It's spinally disabled. I don't remember what I dream 99% of the time. Whether this is like sleep for, for you, for other people, I don't know. Uh, women I've watched, my son when he was young, he seemed a lot more comfortably furnished than me. Right? I, 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 I go on like this, I say three, four hours, and then suddenly I'm wide awake. Clock says maybe 1 o'clock. I figure I'm done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I try, I meditate a little, whatever, see so if I go back to sleep, it's not acceptable. So I sit up, maybe I give up, I pull my laptop off the bedside table, flip it open, dim the light, and uh, uh, handle some mail, do some online banking, maybe read technical materials about <laughs> boat maintenance, some tips, maybe shop for some parts. Eventually, maybe in an hour, I'll see if I can sleep some more, but then all it is, it sucks. It's like the dial is shifting between stations and sleep is just the squelch control. I'm not suffering from a nameless dread. I mean, when I was young, yes, I'm not anxious like that anymore. I'm not afraid really of anything, but my brain is as busy as Bloor Young Station at rush hour. <laughs> the, the thoughts, my nervous system humming, like it's like thousands of pairs of feet I have to stare at going up and down the escalators or minding the gap, stepping between the plate platform and into the train. That's my brain. That day when, when Judy was coming up, you know, to join me after my first month there, uh, I was out of bed and up and at it at 3.20. First with my morning practice, you know, outside under the moon and the stars. Did you get out this morning? You know, that, that beautiful clear sky, that crescent moon hanging like a bowl in the sky through the trees behind my place. It was lovely. A few stars still lingering. But there, you see stars and the moon like that. It, you work in the night shift. I mean, it's June, right? Uh, no, it's late, it's late May now when I'm talking about this. And the sun rises more than 20 minutes earlier than in Toronto, in fact, which rather surprised me. So after that little bit of morning practice, I do some writing with my coffee and breakfast, and then I hop in the car. Right? There's no TTC up there in the car. It takes about two songs to get to the boat, right? Maybe Laura Veers, I don't know, you know, Laura Veers or Bonnie Bear. Do you ever listen to the States? Reuben in the Dark. Anyway, two songs. Good stuff. Driving down the road to the boat. River on one side, pastures and woodlot on the other. It's, it's, it's lovely. You make it three songs. Uh, you swing in through the drive through at the Tim Hortons. I always do. Okay. And then several hours working on the boat. 
I recall that uh, uh, when Judy was coming up, I was trying to finish a couple small projects, at least neaten the site, sufficient to make a good impression on her. Maybe also make a mental note about checking my feminine, feminine pronouns for which are for wife and which are for boat. Okay. <laughs> 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 <No>? <laughs> a little sensitive here. I have to drop my tools, get to the train station on time, and I'm so tired going down the 401, just the side of Montreal, right? Dodging trucks. I'm doing that jerk awake spasm thing, you know what I mean? That clutch thing. Which I once read in an evolutionary psychology book. It, it comes from a primal fear of falling out of a tree from when we were monkeys. <laughs> But I get there safely somehow, I get to the train station, waiting for the train, I eat a banana. Turn <laughs> the metaphor a little further. A little burst of energy though. And, and I, then I drive some more with Judy and I'm, I'm sitting at the kitchen table with her and her mom. And I just yeah, keep my eyes open. And I'm just, uh, it's worse than like it retreats for me sometimes here. I'm just like, I'm yawning and yawning and yawning. And so uh, Judy's mom says to me, John, go lie down for a few minutes. It's around noonish. Okay, so I do that. Well, I set my meditation timer, it's set at 30 minutes today, right? So that's fine, that's a good amount of time. So I'm going to use it. I hit start, pull a blanket over myself on the bed, I just let it go, right? I can do this. Breathe deeply, relax completely, count my breaths, five to zero. Okay, I go down. And then, right on the very edge of this blissful, deep place of sleep, a door just slams in my Happens to me all the time. From then on, I'm just lying there in a the state of my body, held immobile, my mind being bombarded. I'm hypervigilant. I'm upstairs in this little condo townhouse thing, and they're downstairs talking. There's no door. And uh, every word of their conversation is like being etched in my brain. It's not like it's irrelevant. I have to listen to it, but I'm just listening anyway. I can't stop. It's just, I can't miss a word, apparently. This is not a wink of sleep. This is the painful opposite to sleeping, and this is, this is what I get so often. When there are driverless cars, I figure I've got a solution, right? Is that clutch thing anymore? Like, put me in the driver's seat, right? Maybe with a wheel to hold on to. Right? Put a cushion on it for my forehead. That would be a sweet <laughs> And the car just drives me around, right? I'll be sleeping like a baby. Uh, I, we used to do this with my son, Matt, when he was a baby, in his car seat. We'd just drive, not going anywhere, but it's very okay because the baby's getting a much-needed sleep. Now, Matt's an engineer now, astro-space engineer, and his generation is going to know too well what to do with my generation I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, he's got the design for that. Uh, the first stretch of those 40-some days up there, I didn't stop meditating every day. Or, or a little bit of writing. I couldn't stay put indoors for the usual hour of writing, so I reduced that to half an hour, but I did a you know, 50 minute meditation and chanting practice such in the mornings. And sometimes I'd add an evening meditation, another 30 minutes, not too much. Uh, I found it to be quite beneficial. Okay. This is odd, right? Because it, it, it was oddly good. I mean, I'd be sitting back, smiling at my wasting mind. Right? It was good because there was some self kindliness here. This is the key thing. And good that it is, because at no time, not even for five seconds, was I able to muster the concentration that might inspire a higher state of consciousness. Yeah, no, no, no samadhi here. But still, I'm paying attention, and it's plain that while the next tasks in the boat work are utterly dominating my thinking, projecting smoothness into the running of machinery like the old motor, 
I'm giving strength into the electrical connections and I'm going to make visualizing the shiny surfaces, typically bright white developing very specific plans, how I was going to achieve these ideal outcomes on this day. There was still, for me, feelingly, some space around those thoughts, around my thinking. Not just extra room in my mind-body. This space is in recognizing that there's still a world in which my mind-body exists, a very big world, the cosmos entire. So as I meditate, I'm bearing in mind that my brain's not my problem. Not having, my having obsessive thoughts doesn't mean I have to regard all those thoughts as being worth something huge. Not at least for this given half an hour, right? For now, I can renounce my urge to get going, to get out there, to get down and vote and have at her. And this letting go, it's about getting a bit of a break from, for example, in my case, this time, my boat-obsessed self. Which self doesn't go away but a kind of timeout gets called. I can offer my attention an alternative. Might not be able to wholeheartedly take it up for any length of time, but still recognizing wholesome attention is available. Because this breath I'm taking right now, it's definitely worth something, and I'm totally grateful for it. Reorient into this breath. This breath because a very excellent thing I can do right now is to find fulfillment and the greatest possible enjoyment in it. Celebrating. There's such a wonderful pleasure right here. One that takes nothing away from nobody else. It's truly, therefore, a spiritual pleasure. And not for all the possible outcomes elsewhere on Earth or all the supernatural powers in the sky would I trade it away. Not even for like a brand new 40-footer and the lottery win that would enable me to buy her. Right? Give me this breath. This was the third season with Aragorn for, for Judy and I. And our fourth year of marriage. In the last two years, our cruises were nearly four weeks long each. And both trips were fantastic. She did not sail before. And her introduction to it has brought delight to my old jaded sailor's eyes. For the start of this season, I was planning to go up to Stormout for a month. I remember recounting this last, uh, last April. A full month so I could show up for the club's work days, putting in the docks in and launching all our boats together and, and, and do a lot of boat work, of course, uh, on Aragorn too, to make her more functional and beautiful, as I said. And then I was talking about last time. The finale for that was going to be the sail past. That's a, a, a real club institution. And I remember I was afraid of my expectations, and I was saying expectations or resentments because I was worried about it. And, and because the bad weather, for example, or my family's not going to show up, right? This could be more likely. Turned out, it was totally excellent. Just had a wonderful time. Uh, saluting the Commodore as we sailed past his sailboat in a parade of sailboats. My granddaughters, Juliet and Emma, six years old and four years old in the new dresses that Judy had bought them especially for the occasion. They were on the side deck with their parents and Judy in her new summer dress. They're all saluting. My whole crew lined up in the deck, my good family. Me at the helm, I'm dipping the ensign and I got this favorite Hugo Boss sports jacket. I got an Armani tie, Paul Smith shirt, Brax dress, slacks. I got the New Sperry Top Saters I got at the boat show in January. Like it's just great. The club had said no dressing up. I ignored that. This is a 600-year-old British tradition, maybe older. Helen of Troy in the Iliad. Face, thousand ships. So, 
right? So this is something. And for the first time ever, I'm doing it and now with my family and we're on Aragorn, my beautiful sailboat. I had done, I got lucky, 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 lucky. And in so many ways, so many ways. And then Judy totally surprised me uh, on the same day, decided that maybe I would have another two weeks to the trip. And, and I, her empathetic accuracy on this, it just melted my heart. I mean, she appreciates my enthusiasm. She knows she's not enabling an addiction, right? Because although I am obsessed, I'm not addicted. Right? And it may be that my own views of the difference between the two aren't all that useful. I'm not going to belabor them. I mean, beyond my assertion, the voting life is wholesome. It's communal, educational even. And I'm saying I can feel the difference. But trust me, but who would? <laughs> okay, so, but if she does... That, her feeling, you see, they're kind of a litmus test for the distinction in my mind. Being able to distinction, being able to, to tell the difference in, between addiction and obsession, that's not an unimportant thing, and it shouldn't be trivial to anybody. Losing oneself, rebooting, it, shouldn't, it, 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 it should be to a blameless cause, right? My wife is hypersensitive to any inclination I have to what's harmful or escapist. So this is a big vote here, I'm saying, and having a deeply caring life partner, even beyond being like a former monk who wants to regularly get... Well, I'm, uh, for the end of the season, a former lay monk who wants to regularly get laid, okay? So for the end of the season, I had planned like for a bookend thing, the big race, the enduro. Right? It's a 24-hour race, sailing all day and through the night. Did not work out as I had hoped. I remember Matt, my son, in the clubhouse late on this disastrous night. You know that the word disastrous, the etymology, is uh, the destruction of a star? Yeah. Disastrous. He says, thanks, Dad, and he gives me a big hug. He's a lot taller than me, something I've been noticing for going on three decades now. He says, thanks, Dad, but sorry I broke your boat. He and I will have to talk. <laughs> it's hard to say when. It's definitely good that we hug at important, meaningful moments. What's questionable is the value of our communications prior to those times when circumstances are confused with misunderstandings and reticence. We put Aragorn on the rocks. And after, when the boat not sinking was returned to her slip and we were in the clubhouse, a bottle of rum was opened and shots were poured. Not for me, I don't drink. We hugged. Matt said he was sorry. Matthew O., Chap, he hugged me too, and also thanked me for the adventure. I rolled my eyes, but he said, no, that for him was a totally great experience, all of it. He's one of Matt's oldest friends, Matthew. So I've known him for more than 20 years, and I've always really liked him. I was very pleased when Matt invited him to join us for this 24-hour race, despite he'd never been on a sailboat before. Also in the clubhouse at this late hour were two club members. The man who, with his partner, had come out in the night with the club's rescue boat, a big Boston whaler, and focused off the rocks, off the shoal. They were good, very skillful, also kind, but this incident will place me poorly in the community from now on. Shit happens, they say, don't beat yourself up. That's because they put their hands on my shoulders, so kind to me. They don't say, happens to you, but not to me, because you always screw up and I don't. <laughs> or maybe they do, but you know, I do, but that was a long time ago, and there were reasons, okay. Matt, te Matt texted Judy and he said it was his fault. But no. I'm, in the I'm the captain, was in the cockpit when it happened. I'm also the father. And you want to talk about screwing up? Well, I'll talk to Matt about why I'm not married to 
is mother after being married for over 30 years. Less than a mile from the club, very familiar water. But this weekend was a lot shallower than normal. Whatever normal is there, nobody knows because the way they, that's the International Seaway Commission, they play with the levels like a yo-yo. Uh, it was very dark. And I don't talk to Matt like I need to talk to whoever is steering my boat, like I talk to crew, right? I don't, for example, say, Matt, don't be drinking beer like that when you're driving my boat. Because he'd say, well, the first 10,000 things that come to mind that he might say, quite legitimately say to me, oh man, I don't want to hear it. He doesn't say anything. And I feel like I can't say anything. But I have to and I will. There is now a no drinking and driving rule on this boat. Maybe next time I'll tell you how that conversation goes. But before that happened, I was loving it. I mean, it was fantastic watching the guys sail this boat. We were doing really well. I mean, we were holding our own against boats that had been racing together all year. This is our first time competing, and I was thrilled. More than just holding our own. We thought, okay, we could actually win this. Work on second. What a way to end the sailing, the sailing season. It would be my best ever. The sail pass and all learning new skills, connecting with people, then the month-long cruise, and now this like a great bookend at the end. And next year, we're already talking about next year, the enduro again, maybe some of the club's uh, summertime races. Matthew, oh, he brought all the food. He was happy to think about coming back too. And he cooked. His partner had sent this huge container with excellent chili. That morning, after the start, he made coffee in the boat's percolator in the cabin, made bacon and eggs for us, made sandwiches for lunch. He provisioned overabundantly at Montreal's Jean Talon Market. At sundown, he served up big bowls of the chili. Temperature was dropping. First weekend in October, that morning, a heavy frost had covered the decks, crunching under our feet. It was so slippery, we're telling each other to be careful, and Matthew was giving the names of things like stays and shrouds, things you can grab onto safely. There's fog banks looming as the sun warms the air, and they dissipate. It was spooky and beautiful. The day was sunny then, super clear, very, very calm, half of the time. It took us nine hours to go one lap around the island. Second lap, we do in an hour and 40 minutes, but almost all day, we're at the mercy of the river currents. We were laughing because the GPS, it was reorienting all the time, going crazy. We're drifting <laughs> in circles, talking and eating, and the boys are drinking beer. Quite a lot of beer. I'd say not, you know, maybe 10 or more. Maybe more, I don't know. Caught a nice breeze in late afternoon in the channel. We got into a tacking duel with the boat to beat, zigzagging across this line on the chart, the Canadian-US border, a few minutes in Canada few minutes in the U.S. coming close to the forested shores, beautiful islands on both sides. The current's now sweeping us onward. It was so sweet. Rounding the mark on the far side of Sheik Island, we eased the sheets and we powered right up into that boat's transom, left it close to the leeward, stole its wind and took first place. Oh man, just briefly. But I can see it. Like I'm thinking next year, I'm going to have a spinnaker ready for this moment. I have a beautiful spinnaker that came with the boat. I've never flown it. We're going to float, we're going to blow We're, we're going to blow them away. It's going to be fantastic. As forecast in the night, the wind really got quite strong. And it seems like you're going faster sailing in, in extreme darkness. You know, there's no artificial light around anywhere. The sound rushing, gray-white wake created just around us. 
We were fixating on the lights of that boat in front of us. Again, it's not too far ahead. Aragorn wants to catch up with that boat is what I'm thinking, strongly feeling. I previously had my doubts about my boat's close-windedness, but not anymore. We can race to win. My son is a competitive streak, I know, but who knew? So does his dad. <laughs> then, shocking, grinding, oh fuck, grinding to a stop, mercifully not a hard impact, but stopped. Ah, eyes on me. I grabbed the helm. I threw it over, called for the sheets to be brought in to heal us up. And on the side of it, I fired up the motor. I applied full power in reverse. And when that didn't work, full power forward, shifted the sails to the other side to no avail. Like, we're seriously stuck. And I'm saying, come on, Aragorn. Come on. Like, get off this. I backed the sails. I put the crew on the shrouds to heal the boat more, to reduce the draft. I tried to spin her around, could not. Sails full, trying to drive the boat full power, working the old motor excessively dangerously, and the rudder is scraping. It's sickening to me. It's marine ply. It's hollow. It's fragile. Just the spring. I, I repaired it with epoxy and cloth. Probably not good enough. I was worried all season about it. It's a vulnerable appendage back and under my boat's body. And, Feeling like it's my body. And now I'm hoping now that whatever motion we're getting will be Aragorn inching off, freeing herself. But no way, it's just more grinding, more of this horrible grinding on the boat. Might have been pavement we were on, not rocks. Probably. I was talking later with others, and it was an old highway. The shallow bay I sail on is part of what's called Lake St. Lawrence. All around here was dry land before the St. Lane. Lawrence Seaway was created in 1959. Precisely here, there was a town with a road running through it, a highway. Houses were lifted <coughs> off their foundations and moved to higher ground, making a new town, Ingleside. Drivers, divers, they come in, they explore the remnant residential, right? The basements, the forsaken appliances, rusted push mowers, old trucks and things all underwater there. Stuff that wasn't worth transporting. Precisely here, marked with a spar that has a light on it, is a submerged road. Not submerged enough, in my opinion. <laughs> but yeah, there's a spar with a light on it, and it's on the chart, and on my new GPS chart plotter, you know, big screen in the cockpit, very well lit too, none of which mattered, because at that moment, I was looking into a bowl of very excellent chili. In regards to the aftermath uh, with my fellow boaters. Uh, my abasement, so far at least, has not been as severe as I feared it would be. More experienced sailors all had their own stories. Going aground is more commonplace on the river than on the coast of an ocean or a great lake. Makes sense. I mean, highly variable depths, currents, a lot of mud, a lot of weeds, waterways are clogged with weeds. Milfoil Lake is an aquarium plant that when as a kid I saved the money to buy from my fish tanks pull and clogs the water, so it gets stuck. But you know, with the club, really, it's not just screwing up that changes everything, it's continually showing up that changes everything. That's a key thing, being good humor, being of assistance to others, paying attention. This makes sense too, for the years to come, if we're lucky. Four years ago, at the annual season closing banquet, season closing banquet, which is coming up in a week or so. Four years ago, Aragorn's previous owner, Claire, he was awarded Sailor of the Year for the umpteenth time. He was my newish mother-in-law's partner, and I bought the boat off 
the estate. This year, I'll probably get the, it's called the upside down trophy. <laughs> <laughs> there are three other nincompoop of the year awards. I'm up for all of them, apparently. <laughs> so you'll find out next week. I, I don't, I'm mad. <laughs> if I do, I should just have to, you know, be good humored about it, take it in a lighthearted way, show up, and henceforth, try harder to stay in safer waters. And whatever. I'll be extremely grateful to be back next year. Unlike Claire, who right after that got cancer and died in the month. Oh. Yeah. I'm talking about luck now, right? And my good luck, and how grateful I am for it. You want to make a better world than this one, a better society. Make it so that good luck and bad luck fall totally at random. Not according to prejudice or gender, sexual orientation, skin color, or place of origin. Let it be by cosmic coincidence. Make that a religion, cosmic coincidence, right along with insight, morality, and meditation. Happy sailing. Thank you. Good day.